pivot. The buzzword of 2020 has carried over to 2021. And for restaurants, this has meant bringing our food, drinks, and hospitality to the homes of our guests rather than our dining rooms. It's been a bit of a minefield for all of us, trying to navigate this foreign territory of deliveries. Well, say hello to your new best friend, Slurp. Slurp was created by JP then, the man behind Crosstown. And with his team, Slurp wants to help your business get across town. See what I did there? And into the mouths of people across the UK. Slurp is the leading e-commerce site that was built specifically for hospitality businesses, for operators, by operators, turning your website and social channels into slick online stores, making it easy for you to turn a profit. Slurp has grown rapidly during the pandemic, which means its launch period has happened with real life events, real life operators, making it easy for them to look at solutions and make your online business the best. Slurp allows you to have a fully customized checkout experience, complete control of delivery, instant payouts, live menu editing, delivery partners or use of your own fleet, national or local delivery, pre-order option, on-demand or pickup. All data is yours to keep, plus bolt-on order management software and their new service, digital marketing, to help you push those online sales through the roof. To find out more, head to www.slurp.com. The future is uncertain, but one thing we know is at home is here to stay. Let Slurp help get your business home. I love that we're at kind of like different corners of the country in Manchester, London and Margate. I'm very jealous. I'm so desperate to see the sea. I'm really, I, I was brought up by the sea and now I'm like hanging to see, I'm pining, I'm like, ah. Hello, my name is Natalia Ribby, founder of LOR and a little restaurant in Margate called Barletta. And I'm Jane Walton, freelance content creator, ladies of restaurants, as well as various restaurants and bars in Manchester, and my own side project, Bold Magazine. This is the LOR podcast, a weekly show shining a bright light on the incredible people doing amazing things in and around the world of food, drink, and then some. Each week, we'll interview someone who has a great story to share about their work in our industry. We really want to showcase the varied professions available in hospitality and how you might start as one thing and end up as another. Oh, how there isn't always a degree you can or need to achieve. And there are so many lessons to be learned from working in hospitality. With little more time, read a lot more time, on our hands in lockdown, we've started recording these sessions via Zoom, making our sound a bit less Michelin star and perhaps a bit more Bib Gourmand. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy listening. Service! I first met Gemma Bell at the Clove Club opening party in 2013. I was fresh off the boat from New York and going about things in my overly ambitious New York manner, which I quickly learned wasn't as well received by the often a little bit more gentle British public. Nevertheless, Gemma was gracious as always and accepted my salutations. And over the years, we have shared a few glasses of wine, usually at the opening of a fabulous new restaurant she was doing the PR for. When I hear Gemma Bell is involved in a project, I instantly know it's going to be good. Quality is at the helm of what she does. Plus she loves restaurants. And it all started back when she was studying and working for Marco Pierre White. So if she can survive that, it must be love. Being a part of that late 90s, early 2000s London dining scene must have been electric and I am so jealous. This included a post at the infamous Ian Schrager Hotel, St. Martin's Lane, where she stayed for five years before making the leap into public relations. 
first with an agency, then on her own before setting up Gemma Bell and Company, nay PR, some 10 years ago. She has worked with and continues to work with some of the best names in our industry, Tom Carriage, Ottolenghi, Nieves Barragan, Padella, and our personal favorite, the boss herself, Angela Hartnett. What I truly love about Gemma Bell is her genuine respect for the industry. She's worked the double shifts. She knows what it takes to open a new place. She knows the sleepless nights, the blood, sweat, and loads of tears that go into making a special place for people to dine and stay in. Her agency remains small, making it easy for them to search personal connections with their clients. And I'm so delighted to have the opportunity to speak to Gemma about what the future holds for the restaurant PR world. So please give a very warm welcome to the lovely Gemma Bell. Thank you so much. My goodness, what an introduction, Natalia. I feel um, very honoured. <laughs> well, you deserve it. You deserve every bit of that. I so can't believe that we met all of those years ago. And I remember that party so well. And actually, I just a bit of history for you guys. I remember walking into that space. I think it was a Chinese restaurant, uh, you know, next door to Shoreditch, Hall, Shoreditch Town Hall, where the Club Club is. And I remember it being pretty grotty and Daniel and Johnny and Isaac showed me around I was like right this is your restaurant oh man <laughs> and it was super exciting I mean those guys they've done so well haven't they no I can't Lovely. believe it 26 best restaurant in the world now unbelievable no it's just amazing oh love them all Yes, well, that was quite a party, but you know, obviously, we know PR isn't all just uh, launch parties and drinking champagne. Really? Oh, yeah, I, I wish it was. No. Um, <laughs> I really would love if you could share, I guess, what it means to be a PR, because I think that that gets a bit muffled sometimes about what that job. Yeah, is. it really does, and I think that lots of people have ideas about. PR they they think they know what it is so I get quite a lot of calls obviously from potential new clients and um, you start off the call and and you think and they sound as if they they know what they're talking about and then you start talking and they're like oh oh you do that too or you do that and it all sort of transpires but you're right I mean I kind of wish that we were sort of back in the 80s and uh, PR really was just champagne and parties all the time but obviously it's not <laughs> it's a lot of hard work um, but we love to party and it's interesting because I think that I get a lot of emails as well from um, people that want to get into PR and they say you know I love restaurants I love your clients so I love going out to restaurants and you're like that's really great that you love going to restaurants we all do but being a PR and working in the industry is really, really different. So, you know, are you sort of cut out for it? And as you said in, in your intro, Natalia, I used, you know, I worked front of house and back of house. Um, I did those double shifts, breakfast, lunch and dinner shifts all in one day. Um, and those were before the days of sort of well-being, looking after staff and making sure they weren't doing too many shifts you got your ass in at 6am and you made sure that you were doing the breakfast shift and that you're working the whole time. Um, but hey, I was young. It was fun. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I think that what does it mean to be a PR for the hospitality industry? I think it means getting under the skin of it. It's not enough, like I said, just to like restaurants. 
just to like going and staying in a hotel every now and again. You've really got to get into it under its skin and really understand the makeup of restaurants and how they work behind the scenes. You can't just look at a plate of food that a chef gives you to try and go, oh, well, it looks beautiful. Oh, and it tastes absolutely delicious without understanding where the produce comes from, the techniques that have gone into making that dish, why it's plated that way, why it's priced that way, why is that dish relevant to its surroundings. There's so many different things to think about. And ultimately, PR is storytelling. Another reason to really get under the skin of the people behind um, a restaurant or bar or hotel is that you want to tell the story. And as a PR, you've got to be confident that you know everything there is to know about that person or that restaurant as much as possible. You know, you don't want to know too much, but <laughs> but as much as possible, you want to know about them, how they got to where they are now and, you know, what their story is or what is the story of the restaurant. So storytelling is really, really important. And then as a PR, you've got to work out how to communicate that. So that you can get those bums on seats. Get those bums on seats, people. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Your day to day, like what exactly do you do for anyone who like just doesn't know how it works? Day to day, first thing, go through all the emails. <laughs> Work out like what's urgent to do today. I'm still really old school and I have a to-do list and I scribble on in a book. Um and actually, I know that Alice and many of my team do that as well. Um, I always say to the team, you know, kind of organise your day how you want to do it. Make sure you've got your to-do list. But it's up to you whether you how you write things down. But for me, I really still like writing things down. Maybe it's the way of actually the satisfaction of ticking things off. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> you know, kind of scoring through things and going, yeah, I've done that. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. <laughs> on to the next thing. But day to day is, um, I mean, and obviously it's changed so much. Over a year ago, day to day was trying to organise my diary and how quickly I could get from Shoreditch to Soho to Mayfair to Chelsea in one day and have all of those meetings and have lunch and possibly breakfast and dinner as well in the same day. Now it's a lot, it zooms obviously at this precise moment. Um, it's a lot of zooms, but my day to day is looking after clients, making sure they're okay, checking in with them at the moment. Um, it's been a lot of, um, and especially over the last year, it's been a lot of phone calls checking in saying, what's going on? You all right? You need a bit more space. How can we help and support you um, during this difficult time? Um, and obviously, day to day is um, talking to journalists. It's our bread and butter. Uh, and pitching in stories. Strategizing is really important. I think that's one thing that people don't realize about PR. It's not just going into a restaurant, talking to a chef and going, oh, I'll just go and talk to someone about that and we'll get you some PR. It's actually really seriously thinking about it and writing strategies about the best way to do to get something across the best way to launch a restaurant or to make it better and make it busier do you think it'll go back to um what it was or do you think the work will change coming out of covid do you think you'll keep some of the zooms and phone calls i think it's going to be really interesting i think at the beginning like we're all desperate just to see people in the flesh and just be like oh hi oh hi. I think it'll be a much more balanced like I'm really looking forward to having meetings 
in restaurants you know I, I want to be in those surroundings and obviously a lot of sort of new restaurants opening up we have a lot of site visits um to check how the design's coming along and have meetings on site to to check in on things but i think that new client meetings in particular will be done more on zoom and especially ones that are too far away if they're outside of london or you just think actually it's going to take me an hour an hour and a half to travel there let's have the initial conversation on zoom first so it's been interesting but i think it would be a mix do you think that you know obviously being in this industry for so long that that storytelling element has changed like why guests go to a restaurant is different from the 90s to now uh, it's it's changed hugely there's still I think very much then and when I worked for Marco it was um you know you wanted to be seen to be going to the the latest place the most fun or the most sophisticated or with the best food there's still an element of that but I think what's changed is that we've got so many different, so many more outlets um, for communication now. And I'm not just talking about social media, but I'm talking about digital platforms and, um, you know, video, photography, graphics, um, as well as storytelling through articles, through beautiful photography and magazines. It's a combination of the thing of, of all of that now. So I think things have really, really changed. And I think that a lot of people do use social media as a restaurant search engine and people do. We've seen this a lot um, in the last year, haven't we, of, of people seeing um, a dish that they just sort of have to have and, and going to that restaurant or ordering that meal kit. We'll get onto that at some point. I think storytelling has changed. And I think how we tell those stories has changed as well. I'm really pleased that print media is still important. I often say to clients that getting a piece in print media is a bit of sort of a vanity project and not in a bad way, in a really good way, that you have that piece of coverage and you can keep that magazine for life and it sits on your shelf or on your coffee table and you're really proud of it that you're in it um, and it's really beautiful. But actually what gets the reservations and the bums on seats and people spending money is, is digital. Uh, and it's, you know, it's going straight to people and it's much faster and it's much furious and people are going to act on it much quicker. So, I mean, OK, let's just say hypothetically, uh, I'm an independent restaurant owner. I've got one place I'm just about to open or I'm opening my second site. You're telling me all these things. I'm already getting overwhelmed. I have to have like strong digital presence. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just saying like, you know, if I'm someone listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, I have to have this, I have to have this, I should get this. Mm. And obviously a PR agency is another expense. It is. It is an extra expense. I'll often say to people, think of it as, um, as hiring an, an extra employee. And it might be more expensive than that. But, you know, depending... <laughs> <laughs> depending on uh, what it, uh, what you're looking for. It can be overwhelming when you're opening yeah, your first or your second place or you're looking to grow, expand, looking to improve and you're thinking actually now's the time to get a PR agency. But that's the whole point is that you get a PR agency, a agency to take that off you. You know, it's often say to clients, like, don't worry about, you get inquiries that are sent to you that you don't know what to do with, just forward them to us and we can handle it. Let us be the person that goes back to them and say, so sorry, not able to do this this time. Let us help you strategize with your social media. Let us set the work with you to set the tone of voice and let's make sure it's really authentic and really you. Let's, let's look at photography and let us help you with that. So hopefully PR is actually taking a lot of the, 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 the pressure and the strain and stress 
off communicating who you are while you concentrate head down, really focused on on the restaurant, on your your team and how you look after them on, and what you're giving to guests. Um, I think that's really important because otherwise I think it, it can get all just a bit of a, a head fog and it's all just too much. I mean, not to put yourself out of a job, but would you advise a <laughs> young restaurateur to go straight in with a PR or do you think it depends on like the size of the restaurant or? Yeah, it really depends on the size of the restaurant, their ambitions, you know, what do they want to do? Um, I think that it's over the last, well, kind of five, seven years, um, it's become more and more competitive, more restaurants on the scene. So you having a PR doesn't mean that you're going to be heard. And it's a real shame to think I don't you know you don't want restaurants that don't have PR to not be heard if you have a couple of real really amazing champions um, on your side that can champion you that's absolutely brilliant so if you're you know a small neighborhood restaurant and you want to reach out to your neighborhood and you and actually you think that doing that via social media would be the the best option which it often is um, for smaller neighborhood places and just get a couple of sort of people that have good followings in your neighborhood get them to champion you a bit uh you know sort of talk to them and have open conversations i think that's that's what i would do do you think word of mouth still has a strong place yeah i really do i really do just that word of mouth has different forms now um whereas word of mouth might have been having a natter with your mate in the pub and you know and you guys talking about the latest place you've been to well, at the moment, obviously, you'll share that on, on Instagram or, or Twitter more. Um, but I still think that's a form of word of mouth. You're telling your friends, you're telling the people that around you where you've been or what you've been eating and, and telling them to do the same. Yeah, we always have like that one foodie friend who if they share something, it's like, oh, well, Gemma just got to go this new place. We have to go there. <laughs> I'm always amazed. I'm like, you know, I don't have a very big following. And I'm always amazed that people, get, you know, kind of message me going, I, I um, you know, I ordered that meal kit. Or I went to that restaurant last week because I saw that you posted about it. And I had the best time. And I'm often like, oh, phew, thank goodness for that. <gasps> I had this kind of panic that they went on a recommendation of mine and they didn't enjoy it. But um, but, you know, it's, it's there, there is power in it. I'm glad that you brought up the meal kits because obviously <laughs> our entire lives have been turned upside down in the last year. I guess, I mean, you, you've touched on it a bit about how you've had to check in with your clients a bit more. It's been all about, you know, nurturing them and, and, and making sure that they're okay. But yeah, how has your job changed? And do you think that these meal kits are here to stay? Oh my goodness. The million dollar question. Gosh, a year ago, I think we were all in shock, weren't we? And it was very much just like, yeah, being on the phone to clients the whole time and all of us going, what are we doing? What's, what's going to happen? What's going on? And I think, you know, some sort of sat tight for a few months, had some headspace, worked out what they wanted to do. Others dived straight in to go like, right, let's do this. Let's do takeaway. Let's send meals to people. We can, we can do it. Or, you know, first of all, as well, everyone was helping the NHS and cooking for the NHS. So much so that the NHS were having more food than everyone else put together I think <laughs> got to the stage where everyone was king of the NHS now I'm not taking away from it it's absolutely bloody brilliant um and pretty much all of our my clients were, were doing that which is so good and then I think kind of things settled down and people realized that they could do meal kits finish at home enjoy the restaurant in your own sort of space and I think that was really interesting and I think that everyone got quite excited about that also so excited slash sort of terrified that they could do what their favorite restaurant 
was doing, but do it at home. And I think it really depended on the restaurant. I mean, we've seen, you know, there are some great places where literally you just pour the food into a into a bowl, cook some rice, and there's your amazing, you know, Sri Lankan curry, or it's absolutely delicious. Or you can make some, you know, pasta and heat up some sauce and cook the pasta for a couple of minutes because it's so fresh. It's you can do that. Or you really have to kind of think about plating a Michelin star restaurant meal kit at home and and work out how many pans you've got on your your domestic you know <laughs> kitchen hob and then you look at your kitchen and you're like bloody hell I've got to wash up for about five hours now because <laughs> I just cooked this epic meal and I've used every teaspoon that I own but, but some are quite stressful it's quite funny um obviously we've done loads and loads and um but Ben's the real chef my husband's a real chef at, at home but as soon as a meal kit arrives he's like Oh yeah, you you do this. This is this is your thing. You do it because he. But that's also because he can't follow instructions. <laughs> so as I'm I'm like holding the you know right. They tell me to do this. This is I'm following it down to the T. <laughs> I have found some of them really fun. I mean, obviously in Margate we haven't. Which actually I wanted to ask because you know Jane's in in Manchester. I'm in Margate. You're in London. You know, has this been this something that just major cities are doing? So I haven't seen it really translate to, I mean, especially to us in Margate, it's not been something that's been popular. Well, I mean, I think it started off as being very kind of neighbourhoody. You know, almost so much you'd have to walk to your restaurant to go and pick up your 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 meal kit. Um, but now, pretty much all of them are doing national delivery, which I think is in incredible so you can get national delivery from most places and I think that's what's actually the upside of all this is that for the first time people not living in major cities can experience their favorite or explore new city restaurants and we do lots of analyzing of you know where kits get sent to and which are the which city we're going to target around the UK or what area we're going to target I have to say, though, predominantly still a lot of our guys that are London deliveries, even though they're available um, nationwide. But I think that's because people want to support their local restaurants. Yeah, I think they have been really, really fun. Like, I really enjoy. OK, I'm going to mention some clients. Sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. But, I'm you know, Columbus is amazing. Column is amazing. It's easy. It's absolutely delicious. Those are the kind of really simple. Just pour the content in a in a saucepan, make some rice. Oh, delicious. Padella passes off the scale, obviously. Um, you know, got, yeah, Cafe Morone with Ange. Um, they're all so, so good. And like Ottolenghi's celeriac shawarma, I like died and went to heaven when I had that from Rovi. That's incredible. And obviously now there are meal kit platforms. We look after one and there are, you know, there are lots of them. And this is what I think is really, really interesting that actually again it's like we were saying earlier about restaurants going you know don't get too stressed and don't get too worried about you know kind of communications and storytelling find an agency even if you can only afford three months just get an agency to to do that initial storytelling for you well it's the same with meal kits like it's a lot of work and it's still going to be a lot of work because you've got to do the, the cooking and sorting everything out but get a 
get a meal kit platform to take off the pressures of the delivery and the pickups and the like uh, and the customer service and all of that let them do that for you and it's just a bit easier um i'm interested to hear that you said you know you're doing site visits and people are looking to open new things in 2021 yeah uh, that sounds very promising what do you see you know the future of I mean, in your eyes of mm. the hospitality industry, we used to kind of go out in excess. I mean, people mm-hmm. go out every night. Do you see us returning to that? I, I definitely see us returning to going, going out a lot. I think people at the moment, we're all desperate, aren't we, to, to go out um, and desperate to be with other people and to, you know, to experience the, the wonders and the joys of being in a restaurant. And that's not obviously not just a plate of food in front of you. It'd be interesting to see whether people go out as much as we did. And I, I think that will really depend on offices coming back. Um, and I'm thinking about central London here, um, offices coming back, tourists coming back. And that's obviously going to be a really slow process. So neighbourhood restaurants are going to do the best, first of all, once we, you know, in late May and late June and once everything opens up and people become a bit more confident and a bit more assured and safer to go out neighborhoods will come back first then when people when people kind of gear up and they want to go back to central london and they want the shops are open and they want to go to to fortnum's and liberties or selfridges or anything they'll go to the restaurants in central london and then it's offices and then it's sort of you know domestic tourism international tourism that's going to be slower but it is going to come back it's going to be um, a sort of a Thursday to Sunday going out first of all period less at the early week Monday Tuesday but then I think that will come back eventually um, we need that to come back so restaurants can take their revenue again but I think it's, it's going to be a slow start I think what's going to be interesting is who's going to carry on doing their meal kits who's going to have the capacity to do it so a lot of people have been really successful and they've done really well I mean you know look back to sort of Valentine's weekend it was friggin madness my chef's letting me up going what the hell I can't this is I've got I'm surrounded by cardboard I can't even see it I mean, boxes <laughs> everywhere like tearing their hair out but it was good like it was you know it it worked but it's all going to come down to the capacity I mean I don't know if you saw Time Out did a really nice online piece where um, chefs gave a photo of what the last year sort of meant to them and actually Tim for Padella posted a picture of just like you can't even see Padella it's just boxes you know floor to ceiling boxes and it's going to be hard because a lot of people won't be able to carry on because they haven't got the, the storage capacity or the capacity to put these meal kits together anymore and open a restaurant. Yeah. It's very hard. So unless you can afford, you know, a sort of a, a cloud kitchen, dark kitchen, light kitchen, whatever you want to call them, uh, if you, unless you can afford a, another space to cook and pack and send out your meal kits, I think a lot of places won't be able to do them anymore. By the way, apologies if there's some barking in the background. My dog decided to think she wants to come in. She's not allowed right now. (laughs) I wanted to get your thoughts on being a female business owner in hospitality. That's really interesting, Jane, because it's it's interesting because most PR agencies are owned by women. Mm. (laughs) It's a really female heavy industry and we're working you know a serving we're a service industry we're serving the restaurant industry which is predominantly male dominated 
and male business owned. So it is slightly odd. I'm obviously very proud to be a woman business owner. And I really want to, I would do everything in my power to encourage other people to, well, it's not for everyone because it is madness, you know, to to go for it, to go for their dreams and to take those risks. And I, re- I remember sort of 11 years ago saying to myself, if I don't do this now and if I don't take this risk, I'll never do it. You know, it's harder for women. So you have to you have to give yourself a real kick up the arse and you have to, you know, get people around you to support you because men just have more kind of confidence. I think this is very sweeping general statement. So <laughs> but I think they do. You know, it's 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 a but it's a it's a factor in uh, all industries that men will go for promotion. They believe that they they deserve that promotion, whereas women will go, oh, no, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for that promotion. I'm not quite good enough. Whereas men, and then more in general, more rightly so, the women are are capable of doing it and the men less so. <laughs> but I think that it's it's interesting sort of working in an industry that was so male-dominated at the top and, and it is still actually, it is still really male-dominated, but it is getting better, I think. And there are women coming up um, which is great and I just love that the whole industry is so supportive and I think we need to support women doing their own thing heading up their own businesses as much as we can when I first started out I had a few difficult encounters um, with men uh, we all have haven't we but you have to you have to be strong and you you have to sort of carry on then uh, then you you kind of realize actually the best thing about being a business owner is that you can turn down people you don't want to work with anymore. You know, you have a bad experience or someone's not very nice or they yell at you down the phone, which is unacceptable. You can go, that's not acceptable. See you later. Find another PR agency (laughs) that you can yell at because you ain't yelling at me. (laughs) Are there any things that you, you know, make a point to teach your team? As you said, you know, you're a purely female team. So is there anything that you, you do to make sure that their confidence is boosted? always remind them I always want to remind them that um, their confidence is really important to remember that they are experts in their field and I believe that they are and I'm always saying to them look you know you know what that newspaper or magazine is going to write about not the client you know which journalists to speak to you know that this strategy works like this you know if someone tries to push back at you have the confidence to go back to them you're the expert and actually to say as well that you know that restaurant or hotel is is hiring you because we are the experts in this field otherwise they wouldn't be so you have to have confidence that you know what you're doing yeah Ooh. I actually just wanted to touch uh, quickly on the cook for Syria oh yeah because that's something I'm really interested in anyway <laughs> this idea of using food for good I I could talk about using food for good Jane all day friggin day long I really could food is central it's absolutely it's tough but you know food is you bring it to the table you share the whole thing of breaking bread with people is all about community um and cook for Syria can't believe that it was 2016 um that we launched cook for Syria um, and wonderful Clark and Wild Boy and wonderful Serena Gwen, um, founder of Suitcase Magazine and myself um, set it up and chefs were just so up for getting involved in it. Um, you know, we had a really fun launch, but the, the best thing about Coke for Syria was encouraging everybody and anybody, no matter just everybody, no matter where you lived or what you're doing, 
to do their own thing, to do their own little supper club or dinner party and, you know, and cook Syrian food. And, and they're, you know, what, what a great thing to kind of go, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe people don't know about Syrian food. What is Syrian food? Um, and, and explore that. Um, and I mean, it's just, it, it still is so horrific over there just not in the media very much and that's we but we mustn't forget just because it's not I I think that Cook for Syria was sort of it just captured the moment of wanting to help people when you're feeling helpless what seems to be a hopeless situation food food can be the the way food can be the the way that you can help people on so many different levels and and what was so great about Cook for Syria is that um UNICEF at the beginning were like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Just, you know, you do it. And then we raised so much money. They were like, oh, this is really great. Um, <laughs> we want to support you in this. <laughs> and then it went around the world, you know, and it went to amazing people and chefs and things, organised Cook for Syria events in Melbourne and Sydney and Hong Kong and Paris and New York and, I mean, endless places. And I think that's what we couldn't be prouder of is that people took it and made it their own but all for the same cause, which is really wonderful. Again, it's about sort of food and community and food being the tool in which you can talk and reach people. Um, we run a, um, a food bank here out of in my husband's church and um, it's pretty amazing, but also harrowing that so many people need food. So I'm going slightly off piste here, but I think, again, it's about sort of food and community and food being the tool in which you can talk and reach people. Well, we like to finish off the podcast with just some lighthearted questions. I'm going to be so sick <laughs> of myself saying that, by the way. <laughs> we like to finish off the podcast with some not so serious questions. We've talked a lot about burgers today, and I would just like to know who makes your favorite burger. Oh, man, it changes all the time. Top three. Okay, to, okay, I can do that. Top three. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. Burger and Beyond. Epic. Bleaker. Oh. Always reliable. Always good. Patty and Bun. Oh, no, hang on. Four legs. Four legs. How could I forget four legs? Their burger is heaven. No, I haven't had it yet, but... Oh, my goodness. One four day. legs. Amazing. What is your go-to cocktail? My go-to cocktail is a Manhattan when I'm in Manhattan. What a loser. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, A gin martini at the Connaught. Oh, I mean, there's nothing better, is there, really? A gin martini in the Connaught bar. Um, Yeah, Manhattan, a gin martini. And actually, I'm... I'm quite simple in that I well I don't really like complicated cocktails. I don't like cocktails that have got loads of different things in them. Obviously, I hate anything that's too sweet. Um, so often I'll just have a G and T. Well, uh, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your wise wisdom with us today. Yeah, I'm not sure that I talked that I gave any any helpful PR about, about giving away your secrets, about telling people about the true magic. Uh, that PR is and I feel like I got that it is a bit of magic that you sprinkle on top but my whole thing is that it can be a bit of sort of you know fairy dust but actually there's an awful lot of hard work 
and strategic thinking and creative thinking that goes behind it. It's not all whining and dining journalists. It's not. It's not. I mean, that can be a challenge too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Gemma. Can't wait to have you down in Margate this summer. Can't wait. Thank you so much, guys. Um, That was really, really fun. Loved it. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Natalia. You have been listening to the LOR podcast. Please like and subscribe. If you'd like to hear more about Ladies of Restaurants, head to our website, www.ladiesofrestaurants.com or check us out on Instagram at Ladies of Restaurants, where we will fill your feed with upcoming events, news, delicious food, and of course, lots of lulls. This podcast has been made possible by Slurp, edited by Grace Campling, an original track by Peter Van Housen.